The Auspicious Vision by Rabindranath Tagore. Kanti Chandra was young, yet after his wife's death, he sought no second partner and gave his mind to the hunting of beasts and birds. His body was long and slender, hard and agile, his sight keen, his aim unerring. He dressed like a countryman and took with him Hira Singh the wrestler, Chakkanlal, Khan Sahib the musician, Mia Sahib and many others. He had no lack of idle followers. In the month of Agrahayan, Kanti had gone out shooting near the swamp of Naidighi with a few sporting companions. They were in boats and an army of servants in boats also filled the bathing carts. The village women found it well nigh impossible to bathe or to draw water. All day long, land and water trembled to the firing of guns and every evening musicians killed the chance of sleep. One morning, as Kanti was seated in his boat cleaning a favourite gun, he suddenly started at what he thought was the cry of wild duck. Looking up, he saw a village maiden coming to the water's edge with two white ducklings clasped to her breast. The little stream was almost stagnant. Many weeds choked the current. The girl put the birds into the water and watched them anxiously. Evidently, the presence of the sportsmen was the cause of her care and not the wildness of the ducks. The girl's beauty had a rare freshness, as if she had just come from Vishwakarma, the divine craftsman in Hindu mythology, from his workshop. It was difficult to guess her age. Her figure was almost a woman's, but her face was so childish that clearly the world had left no impression there. She seemed not to know herself that she had reached the threshold of youth. Kanti's gun cleaning stopped for a while. He was fascinated. He had not expected to see such a face in such a spot. And yet its beauty suited its surroundings better than it would have suited a palace. A bud is lovelier on the bow than in a golden vase. That day the blossoming wreaths glittered in the autumn dew and morning sun and the fresh, simple face set in the midst was like a picture of festival to Kanti's enchanted mind. Kalidas has forgotten to sing how Shiva's mountain queen herself sometimes has come to the young Ganges with just such ducklings in her breast. As he gazed, the maiden started in terror and hurriedly took back the ducks into her bosom with a half-articulate cry of pain. In another moment, she had left the river bank and disappeared into the bamboo thicket hard by. Looking round, Kanti saw one of his men pointing an unloaded gun at the ducks. He at once went up to him, wrenched away his gun and bestowed on his cheek a prodigious slap. The astonished humorist finished his joke on the floor. Kanti went on cleaning his gun. But curiosity drove Kanti to the thicket wherein he had seen the girl disappear. 
pushing his way through, he found himself in the yard of a well-to-do householder. On one side was a row of conical thatched barns and on the other a clean cowshed, at the end of which grew a zizif, a very rare uh, plant, herb, bush. Under the bush was seated the girl he had seen that morning sobbing over a wounded dove, into whose yellow beak she was trying to wring a little water from the moist corner of her garment. A grey cat, its forepaws on her knee, was looking eagerly at the bird, and every now and then, when it got too forward, she kept it in its place by a warning tap on the nose. This little picture, set in the peaceful midday surroundings of the householder's yard, instantly impressed itself on Kanti's sensitive heart. The checkered light and shade, flickering beneath the delicate foliage of the zizif, played on the girl's lap. Not far off, a cow was chewing the cud and lazily keeping off the flies with slow movements of its head and tail. The north wind whispered softly in the rustling bamboo thickets. And she, who at dawn on the river bank had looked like the forest queen, now in the silence of noon showed the eager pity of the divine housewife. Kanti, coming in upon her with his gun, had a sense of intrusion. He felt like a thief caught red-handed. He longed to explain that it was not he who had hurt the dove. As he wondered how he should begin, there came a call of Sudha from the house. Sudha means nectar, ambrosia. The girl jumped up. Sudha came the voice again. She took up her dove and ran within. Sudha, thought Kanti. What an appropriate name. Kanti returned to the boat, handed his gun to his men and went over to the front door of the house. He found a middle-aged Brahmin with a peaceful, clean-shaven face seated on a bench outside and reading a devotional book. Kanti saw in his kindly, thoughtful face something of the tenderness which shone in the face of the maiden. Kanti saluted him and said, May I ask for some water, sir? I am very thirsty. The elder man welcomed him with eager hospitality and offering him a seat on the bench, went inside and fetched with his own hands a little brass plate of sugar wafers and a bell-metal vessel full of water. After Kanti had eaten and drunk, the Brahmin begged him to introduce himself. Kanti gave his own name, his father's name and the address of his home and then said in the usual way, If I can be of any service, sir, I shall deem myself fortunate. I require no service, my son, said Nobin Banerjee. I have only one care at present. What is that, sir? said Kanti. It is my daughter Sudha who is growing up. Kanti smiled as he thought of her babyish face, and for whom I have not yet been able to find a worthy bridegroom. If I could only see her well married, all my debt to this world would be paid, and there is no suitable bridegroom here, and I cannot leave my charge of Gopinath here to search for a husband elsewhere. 
If you would see me in my boat, sir, we would have a talk about the marriage of your daughter. So saying, Kanti repeated his salute and went back. He then sent some of his men into the village to inquire and in answer heard nothing but praise of the beauty and virtues of the Brahmin's daughter. When next day the old man came to the boat on his promised visit, Kanti bent low in salutation and begged the hand of his daughter for himself. The Brahmin was much overcome by this undreamed-of piece of good fortune, for Kanti not only belonged to a well-known Brahmin family, but was also a land proprietor of wealth and position, that at first he could hardly utter a word in reply. He thought there must have been some mistake, and at length mechanically repeated, You, you desire to marry my daughter? If you will deign to give her to me, said Kanti. You mean Sudha? he asked again. Yes, was the reply. But will you not first see and speak to her? Kanti, pretending he had not seen her already, said, Oh, that we shall do at the moment of the auspicious vision. Usually, the auspicious vision, after the betrothal, the prospective bride and bridegroom are not supposed to see each other again till that part of the wedding ceremony which is called the auspicious vision. In a voice husky with emotion, the old man said, My Sudha is indeed a good girl, well skilled in all the household arts. As you are so generously taking her on trust, may she never cause you a moment's regret. This is my blessing. The brick-built mansion of the Mazumdars had been borrowed for the wedding ceremony, which was fixed for the next marg, as Kanti did not wish to delay. In due time, the bridegroom arrived on his elephant with drums and music and with a torchlight procession and the ceremony began. When the bridal couple were covered with the scarlet screen for the riot of the auspicious vision, Kanti looked up at his bride. In that bashful downcast face, crowned with the wedding coronet and bedecked with sandal paste, he could scarcely recognize the village maiden of his fancy, and in the fullness of his emotion a mist seemed to becloud his eyes. At the gathering of women in the bridal chamber, after the wedding ceremony was over, an old village dame insisted that Kanti himself should take off his wife's bridal veil. As he did so, he started back. It was not the same girl. Something rose from within his breast and pierced into his brain. The light of the lamps seemed to grow dim and darkness to tarnish the face of the bride herself. At first he felt angry with his father-in-law. The old scoundrel had shown him one girl and married him to another. But on calmer reflection he remembered that the old man had not shown him any daughter at all, that it was all his own fault. He thought it best not to show his arrant folly to the world and took his place again with apparent calmness. He could swallow the powder, he could not get rid of its taste. He could not bear the merry-makings of the festive throng. He was in a blaze of anger with himself as well as with everybody else. Suddenly he felt the bride, 
seated by his side, give a little start and a suppressed scream. A leveret scampering into the room had brushed across her feet. Close upon it followed the girl he had seen before. She caught up the leveret into her arms and began to caress it with an affectionate murmuring. Oh, the mad girl, cried the women as they made signs to her to leave the room. She heeded them not, however, but came and unconcernedly sat in front of the wedded pair, looking into their faces with a childish curiosity. When a maid servant came and took her by the arm to lead her away, Kanti hurriedly interposed, saying, Let her be. What is your name? he then went on to ask her. The girl swayed backwards and forwards, but gave no reply. All the women in the room began to titter. Kanti put another question. Have those ducklings of yours grown up? The girl stared, stared at him as unconcernedly as before. The bewildered Kanti screwed up courage for another effort and asked tenderly after the wounded dove, but with no avail. The increasing laughter in the room betokened an amusing joke. At last Kanti learned that the girl was deaf and dumb, the companion of all the animals and the birds of the locality. It was but by chance that she rose the other day when the name of Sudha was called. Kanti now received a second shock, a black screen lifted from before his eyes. With a sigh of intense relief, as of escape from calamity, he looked once more into the face of his bride. Then came the true auspicious vision. The light from his heart and from the smokeless lamps fell on her gracious face, and he saw it in its true radiance, knowing that Nobin's blessing would find fulfilment.